0: For more information on Cynthia's diverse background, log on to CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Let the next 60 minutes inspire, motivate, and encourage you to become your own best version. Now, here's Cynthia.
1: Well, this is Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you for joining me today with Conversations with Cynthia. And this this show today is going to be Life after divorce. Uh, last week we talked about coping with the pain of divorce, and um, if you missed that show, you can always go to my website, um, and there are podcasts from from all these shows. So you can go to Hyatt dot com. You can also go to SoundCloud and type in Cynthia Hyatt or Conversations with Cynthia, and you can find all the shows um, there as well. So today we're going to be talking about uh, life after divorce, and I like this author. Her name is Gina Shaw, and I like to tell you some where I get resources from in case you want to read more. This is from a WebMD. Then I get um, some different articles and periodicals. So this whole idea about life after divorce um, is a whole different process. Because once we get through the divorce, and the divorce is final, then we have to start figuring out how to do life. So everyone's divorce story is different. And Maybe you've been married for decades, maybe just a year or so. Maybe you have children. Maybe you don't. Maybe the divorce was your idea and maybe it was your partner's. Or maybe you both agreed that separation was best. And see, maybe you're relieved or maybe you're heartbroken. Maybe a bit of both. But however you got there, the question now is where do I go from here? So how do I figure out who I am and what it means to be this newly single person? What is my life going to look like? And how do I start moving in that direction? And in last week's show, we talked a great deal about this need to go through the grief and loss process, to give yourself time to heal, to become your own best friend, to really get to know who you are, to reclaim who you were maybe before all this happened, or maybe you didn't really know who you were before anyways, and now you need to get to figure out and need to know who you are. And, And it's imperative that when you are In that process, I really want to encourage you to go straight to the source. That you ask God, because he's the one that made you. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He lives inside of you. He's closer to you than you are to yourself. So he can reveal to you all those things that you need to know. He can help you find that new direction, help you find that path. And if you're unsure about your relationship with God, I encourage you to tell him that too to talk with someone that might be able to help you with that. But you can tell him that straight to him. And he can help you with that as well. So it's important as we're figuring out this new life and how we're going to do this, that we've worked through a lot of that grief and loss process. We've done a lot of the forgiveness piece of forgiving our spouse, forgiving ourselves, forgiving maybe a lot of the players that were in it, forgiving the lawyer, maybe forgiving the judge, uh, forgiving family, forgiving friends, forgiving our church. Maybe we have to, to forgive our children. Maybe we don't like how our children acted toward us uh, in the divorce. And so then what we're going to do, we're going to make sure that we truly have let ourselves mourn. And that mourning process is, is not one that does, it goes by quickly. And you may find yourself feeling really fine one day, and then all of a sudden you just get this wave of sadness, that, wow, I thought I was over this. So nobody gets married thinking, oh, I'm sure hoping to get divorced someday, or I'm sure I'm probably going to divorce him, but I'll marry him anyways. So even if by the time you split the divorce with something you wanted, a divorce still represents a huge, huge loss. And anyone that has gone through it can tell you, you, you never really know how hard a divorce is until you go through one and what it really means and and the levels that, that it goes to. So whatever your marriage and divorce experience has been, there's going to be those emotions that have to do with grief. And so you're going to feel some remorse for what you did or didn't do, or you're going to wonder what you did wrong. But we want to make sure that we don't dwell on those feelings, but we do make room for them. And so we understand that loss, loss is loss. And there's an empty space where something once filled it up. So even if that, something wasn't positive it still now is a void and we want to be careful when we're dealing with that void that we don't hurry and fill it up because many times when people are are experiencing that loss and they're dealing with that void they jump into a new relationship and you know we have people saying get back out there just go you know and this is really not a good idea you don't even have your bearings yet you're trying to figure out who you are how this all happened and put things together and you're trying to get some direction. The last thing you want to do is add a new relationship because relationships are heavy. They, they they are, they can be intense. They they take energy and time. And so many times when we're dealing with that void, we go find that distraction. And I can promise you that until you really work through the divorce, what happened, how it got there, what you've learned about yourself in terms of, whatever part you played in in the marriage not working. If you don't do that, you will just repeat it. You're destined to repeat the same marriage. And generally what happens is it's worse the second time if you don't deal with what really happened. So it's very, very important that you don't fill it up. And sometimes if people don't do it with a relationship, they might do it with work. They become workaholics. They might do it with substances. They may start drinking more. They may um, start substance abuse. They may become uh, an exercise-aholic and over-exercise. They may get completely consumed with their appearance. And so there's lots of ways that people can distract themselves. They may get over-involved in their kids' lives, these types of things. So it's imperative that you really work on understanding, I have to deal with that void that is now present, and I want to make sure I'm not filling it up too quickly or filling it up with inappropriate things. So we work through our feelings, because you want to remember, we don't want a lot of baggage and emotional baggage. And when you have been through a divorce, there is emotional baggage. There's no way there can't be, because they're messy. Humans are messy. When we're dealing with humans, it's very messy. And so if I've gone through a divorce, not only do I have the baggage from the marriage that needs to be resolved, but there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff that happened in the divorcing process that happened with others with myself, with spouse, with kids that I'm going to have to really work on. So I need to find a way to work through the lingering emotions from the demise of my marriage. And, and it, it means that, that I'm, I may need to talk about my feelings with a therapist or focusing my energy in some healthy activities that you enjoy. Journaling is a very, very helpful, positive way to process through the emotional baggage. Because otherwise we sweep them under the table and we pretend we worked them through and then they're polluting my life when I go forward. So if you find yourself resisting the idea of therapy, then you might want to keep in mind that therapy doesn't mean you have a problem that, or that you're in crisis. It can be a way to work toward a better life with someone who has no agenda but you. So I, I really wish that clients came to me when their lives in many ways were working and they want to make them better, then always coming to me, like it's like the ER, like I have to do all, I have to do all this triage and, and try to make sure that they're not hemorrhaging to death before I can ever work on how they got injured. So you may want to look at therapy as a way to say, you know what, I'm doing pretty good working through the divorce. Maybe I need some life coaching to help me refocus myself and to help me figure out who I am. And to find out how I want to take this next step in my life. So another thing that's very important after divorce, and we talked about this some in the last show, is that you learn to like yourself. Now, I know that may sound silly, but divorce is, is yucky. And when you've been harmed as well, it can cause us to have those feelings of shame that we end up feeling gross about ourselves. And it's important that we clean that up. So that we recognize that we, we are a valuable person, we are a worthwhile person, even though we are single now, being single does not mean you're, you're not worthwhile. And, and culture has a tendency to really revere marriage or companionship as if that's the end goal and all the people that are successful, loved people and beautiful people, healthy people are the ones that are with someone. And I can tell you as a marriage therapist, that is not the case that we all are struggling people, whether we're single or married, we're all struggling and we all need some, some help. So when it comes to learning to like yourself, if you've been rejected deeply in the marriage, maybe your, your partner was unfaithful or maybe they just said, you know, I don't, I don't love you anymore. I'm not attracted to you anymore. Those are very rejecting statements. It's very hard to not take those in and feel that way about yourself as well. So, you might think that there's something wrong with you, that you couldn't make the relationship work. So you have to, to work on getting confidence and faith in yourself and the ability to believe in your own worth. And this is something that's very, very, um, a very good therapeutic issue. So if you're struggling with liking yourself, I want you to realize that you, you don't want to go out into the, the dating world hoping that if somebody likes you, then you'll finally like yourself because it doesn't work that way. People like you more and like you when you like you. Because when you're liking yourself, you're going to value yourself, you're going to treat yourself well, and you're going to require that other people treat you the same. So it's very important that we work on this relationship with self. And you rediscover who you either you used to be, who you're going to be, who you want to be, and you discover that new side of yourself. So these are are pieces as we are going through this, life after divorce, how do I do this? And so when you're rediscovering you, especially if you were married for a long time, you may have given up a lot of things you enjoyed as a single person because they didn't fit in with the couplehood per se. So maybe you loved to go out, but your spouse was a homebody. Or maybe you always loved going to the theater, but your husband hated it. Uh, What were your hobbies and activities before you were married? What did you defer in favor of the relationship? So exercising your interest in those things, again, is very important to rebuilding yourself. Now, if you're, if you discover that maybe, wow, I think I might've had some codependency because I kind of gave up my whole entire life for my spouse and I lived my life through their life. And so that's another really good issue for therapy to really understand how do I give myself away in the wrong way? Not in a self-sacrificial way, but I lose myself to somebody because if you don't get a handle on that, you're going to do it in the next relationship. You're going to be attracted to someone that also wants someone that was willing to give their life up in that way. So think about how Jesus gave up his life, but he never lost himself. So he gives himself sacrificially, completely lays his life down, but doesn't lose himself. So we're going to talk more about this and rediscovering who you used to be or discovering who you are. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me again, and always I encourage you to look me up on my website at Cynthiahyatt.com. I hear the whispers in my door. Welcome to conversations with Cynthia. This is Cynthia Hyatt, and today we are discussing life after divorce. Uh, last week, we talked about coping with the pain of divorce. And so today we're going to talk about life after divorce. And in the last segment, we were, we were saying first that we need to let ourselves mourn and that that grief and loss process is a process. And it takes at least a minimum of a year, but it may take up to two to five years, depending on the level of damage, the level of injury, um, how complicated it was. So you want to give yourself the time that it deserves to heal from that. So you're going to work through your feelings in that way. We don't want to be carrying a lot of emotional baggage into our next relationships. And this is also a very important opportunity if you have children to, even though it's painful to have a failed marriage, you can still be trailblazing for them as to how to do life well. So clearing emotional baggage is imperative that your kids see a role model of, I'm going, to, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to get better. I'm going to, to learn from this. I'm going to be a healthier person. Because that can be a really, really important life skill for your kids to learn. How you come back from a failure, how you learn from mistakes is a very important thing to teach your kids. Working through those feelings is a very important part of role modeling, role modeling for your children how to deal with life crises, issues. And so resolving and working through the feelings so that you don't have emotional baggage is also a way to relieve stress in their life because kids worry about their parents, especially when they see them go through a very painful divorce. So we also want to learn to like ourselves, because many times when we go through it, we may not have done it in the way that we're proud of. And maybe we're part of, we're the main reason for the failing of the marriage. But either way, we forgive ourselves. We learn to like ourselves. We rediscover who we used to be, or we discover who we are. Because maybe you lost yourself in the marriage. Maybe you lost yourself more through the divorce. Maybe you became somebody that you didn't, you didn't even know in your marriage. So you want to get back that authentic, original you. And then you can also discover a new side of yourself. So who am I in this part of my life phase, this stage of life? And, and what is the, what are the things that I want to discover? So it, because life changing period of divorce, though, it's often, it's very difficult and unwelcome, but there is a silver lining because it shakes things up and you get to try on a new lifestyle. And I know if you're going through a divorce, you might be saying, Cynthia, I can't look forward to that at all. And that's part of the grieving process that it's impossible sometimes to think there's even a life after divorce, but there is. And so it may be something as simple as, I don't know, getting a haircut after you've worn your hair really long, get a pixie haircut. It may be trying a new sport. It may be going to a different church. It may be going back to college. Maybe you realize that you like to move to a new city or even spend a year, I don't know, living out of the country. So, of course, you can't just flit away and throw caution to the wind. I'm not saying that we're going to be ridiculous. But you may have some real considerations a job, a budget that have also been very hurt by the divorce. So if you can't do something major like move to a different city or move to a new home or travel, you can do things in in the place that you're at that change some things up and that cause you to see life differently. So as long as the changes you make are healthy and constructive, these are very appropriate. Think about who you want to be. Who you were before you were married. Or maybe a new person. What are some of the things that you can do differently? Because these are now the time to make those changes. This is You now have the time and the space and the opportunity to make those changes. Maybe maybe your spouse is unwilling to get any therapy, and so you didn't go. Maybe you wanted to. Maybe you want to do some life coaching that helps to kind of focus on, I, I kind of want to, maybe I want to work on a, Some physical things. Maybe I want to become healthier and stronger physically, so I want to get an exercise life coach. Maybe I want to learn uh, a new language. Any of these types of things. And then we want to dare to be alone. And we talked about loneliness last week. And it's important that being alone doesn't mean being isolated or never seeing anyone. It means I'm not a couple, and I'm not going to rush to do so. See, society is more accepting of singles than they ever have been, even a decade ago. So when people go to the restaurant by themselves, people don't look at them like they're weird. So if you want to make sure that you are not causing your own self to feel insecure by thinking that being single is somehow um, uh, like, like a leper or a pariah. So we want to consider some transitional relationships. And I'm not saying the initial six months after your divorce because we don't want to do the whole rebounding thing. But it is about considering... Once you feel ready, dating outside your comfort zone, someone maybe who's not your type, without thinking that it has to head toward a permanent relationship. Many times when I'm helping people through this process, I'm saying to them, why don't you just go practice learning how to be a human or learning how to be you with somebody instead of trying to figure out, do I like them? Is this going to be a good match? I want you to practice being you, this person you've discovered, this new person, being confident, being yourself not changing who you are to try to fit into a mold or get someone to like you or be attracted to you, that you really are being you. And so these are very good places to practice doing that without thinking that the relationship has to go somewhere. So you want to embrace your new roles. So especially if you were coupled for a long time, your partner probably handled certain aspects of life while maybe you managed others, and now it's going to be all up to you. And it's not likely to go perfectly, but that's okay. So if your partner was always responsible for the money, earning it, managing, investing it, suddenly you have a whole new realm of learning and responsibility. And dealing with those new things can give you confidence in your own ability. So don't, don't isolate, don't, don't um, hide from these new responsibilities. Get the help that you need to learn how to do what you need to do. And if, you, if you're not good at it, like I know for myself, I'm not good at accounting, so I hire one. You can, If your spouse did those things, you can certainly look for people to hire to help you do those things that maybe you can't or don't want to. So even if you make mistakes, mistakes give you life skills and teach you that you can handle being alone. And again, this whole idea of being alone, you have to remember that loneliness is a part of being human. That's a part of of living. And so we want to learn how to do it well and not do it in a destructive manner. We want to make sure that we're not judging ourselves, that we're not condemning ourselves, that we are forgiving ourselves and we are learning to like ourselves. We are learning to live with ourselves. If I don't like myself and I don't like living with myself, then why would someone else want to? So it's imperative that this life after divorce, that I now have the opportunity to be who God has really called me to be. And I can remove a lot of clutter and, and say goodbye to a lot of things that maybe aren't me. Maybe it's the opportunity that God is going to use to help me to actually be my own best version, the version that he had designed for me to be, not the one that I became in order to survive the marriage or to keep the marriage or in in order to, to be the person that people would accept or like. So it's very important in this time of rediscovery and learning to live life after divorce that we ask God again for help in knowing what that is, what that looks like, what he's called us to do, who he knows us to be. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next segment. We are going to talk about mistakes that divorced parents make and help you to undo some of that and know what is not helpful when you're dealing with children in a divorce situation. This is Cynthia Hyatt. Join me again with Conversations with Cynthia. welcome back. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And Before we start the show, I want to encourage you to visit me at my website at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. And you can also um, visit my Facebook page at Cynthia Hyatt Inc. and that's I-N-C for incorporated. So in the last two segments, we've been talking about life after divorce and how we do that and how we do that well and that it is now an opportunity to be truly who God has called me to be and to learn who that is and to do that well and so now we're going to switch gears a little bit and we're going to talk about okay now that I'm divorced and if you are a parent I want to talk about some mistakes that that parents that are divorced oftentimes make with kids and they it's unwitting They, they do it unwittingly many times they don't know that that's the case So breaking up is hard to do, and it's especially hard for kids. We know that. And uh, kids of divorce, they can feel like they've been hit the hardest by the end of their parents' relationship because some are asked to broker peace between those warring exes and even as they are grieving the loss of the parent who's abruptly moved out. Others must deal with the parents who suddenly can't cope with everyday tasks like making dinner or helping with homework. So many children carry the battle scars of divorce well into adulthood, And wounds that never needed to be inflicted in the first place. But broken up spouses can help stop the damage by managing their own behavior before the ink dries on the divorce papers. And so one of the things that's very, very important, if you are in the middle of of a divorce, or if you have divorced, is that the first one is you do not make your child the messenger. You don't talk to the other spouse through that child. So too many parents attempt to communicate through their kids. And this causes undue emotional stress on them and forces them to negotiate situations their own parents couldn't handle. It also causes them to maybe know things we don't want them to know or that they don't need to know. And so this is where in today's world, email is great. It's an excellent tool to communicate with your ex-spouse. It also allows you to be specific and discuss the practicalities of raising your child without detouring into negative areas of opening old wounds and It also provides a recorded message that's admissible into court, so parents tend to be more careful when they're using it. So if you want or need to speak with your ex on the phone or in person, be focused, stay on task, and most important, don't swallow the bait if he or she descends into anger. Simply say, I appreciate your feelings, but I'm here to discuss our child's school assignment. You take the high road, because your child's emotional health depends on it. And, and this, is, this is painful, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you know. A child's self-worth comes m- mainly from how much their parents like one another because this creates tremendous security. Children love to see their parents laughing together, liking each other, and it causes them to feel good about themselves and about their family. So when they think their parents hate one another, it's going to directly affect their own self-worth and self-esteem. So I'm not advocating that you pretend something that, that is not true. But it's really, really important that you protect your children from the negative feelings you have about their parent. Because remember, they're 50% that parent. And so if you hate that parent, they can feel like you hate them. So you don't ask the child to be the messenger or your therapist. See, teenagers like to feel in control. And divorce kind of turns their world upside down. And so don't fall into the trap of sharing divorce details or your angry feelings about your ex with your older kids. Their own anxiety and need for control causes them to be, quote-unquote, understanding of what you're going through. But you need to be the parent. It doesn't matter how intelligent your teenager is, how nice they are, how close you've been. They cannot be your friend. They cannot be your therapist when it comes to divorce. It's a huge burden to place on them. It asks them to grow up too soon. It causes them not to be doing the developmental stage in their life that they are supposed to be doing, which is actually not thinking about parents. This, at this age, teenagers, they're getting ready to leave. And so they are thinking less about mom and dad, wanting to spend less time with mom and dad and become more independent. Well, if you're divorcing while they're teenagers, that disrupts that process. And I'm not, hopefully, I, I don't want anyone to feel any condemnation or judgment. This is really just good information. And so if you're needing to do that while they're teenagers, you, you want to recognize what that does part of their process, and they may get more friendly. It gives them a sense of control if they know what's happening, and it also causes them to feel like maybe they can put it back together. But it is a tremendous amount of stress. So you need to be the parent. So you go outside for help for yourself. Get therapy if necessary, but you want to maintain those boundaries. Making your child your cohort, cohort is wrong and it it actually really does them damage so as we're looking at this I want to remind you so we're not going to have the child be the messenger or the therapist we're going to really try to get the kid okay because kids need to feel as if they're understood and so we're going to talk more about this idea that different mistakes that parents can make so that we can either not make the mistake or undo the damage this is Cynthia Hyatt with conversations with Cynthia join me again Thank you for joining me again. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. And today we are talking about life after divorce. And we left off with uh, this idea that we are, we are talking about what are some mistakes that parents make while they are divorcing after they're divorcing with their kids. And so the first one that we talked about was you, you don't make the child be the messenger. This forces them to communicate Um, about things that they may not even be emotionally prepared to, to communicate about. It causes them to know things that we may not want them to know. We may regret that they know. It puts undue stress on them relationally because it changes the relationship they have with each parent. We also don't want them to be the therapist, and this a lot of times happens with teenagers. And if you have a very precocious teenager, they can seem like it helps them when you start sharing with them and sharing your Feelings and worries and thoughts and frustrations because it gives them a false sense of control. They actually can feel like, well, maybe I can fix some of this because their life is in turmoil as well. So you don't want to to believe or to think that it's helping them for you to use them as a therapist or, or a friend. It actually is, is harming them in many ways. And so this next part, we want to really try to get your kid. And so they need to feel as if they're understood and after a divorce, their feelings may be in turmoil. So you want to listen to them. Don't tell them what to think. And it might be difficult, but never criticize your ex. Because if you do, it's a criticism of your child. Because, like we said before, they're 50% of your ex-husband or your wife. So you respond specifically to what they're telling you. So if they're complaining about the other parent... You don't want to join in with them. What you want to say to them is something like it sounds like you're feeling mad or sad or upset about meeting your dad's new girlfriend. Is that right? And you want to be very careful that you are actually being the adult, listening to your child talk about another adult and how they are feeling. And you're entering into their world. And so as a parent, you don't have to have a solution. You just need to hear them. And you and be empathetic and compassionate and care about their feelings. And don't editorialize. Because you can suggest your child write down his feelings and share them with your ex. But only if your child wants to do so. So you want to stay trained on your child's feelings, not yours. Because healings, healing, the healing your children need comes through a loving connection and from being understood. So if your child comes home and is telling you something egregious that your ex is doing or saying... You want to make sure that you are very careful about controlling your own emotions and hearing how it affects your child. Then, after you've taken care of your child, given them some ideas that they may want to use if, if they so choose to, then you go and you call your best friend and you vent to your best friend. And after you've done venting and really feeling like you've got a handle on yourself, then you go and you email your ex-spouse your concerns. So you want to avoid the third degree. This is one of the worst things that parents can do. So I tell parents to treat their child's weekend away with their ex-spouse as if it's the child has just visited an aunt or an uncle. So saying nothing will leave your child stressed as if he must compartmentalize both worlds and tiptoe around the other experience. On the other hand, grilling the child puts him squarely in the middle. So you want to say things like, did you have a good time? Did you enjoy yourself? What were some of the things you did that you liked? What would you like to repeat? Did you learn anything? Any special things happen? These types of things that you want them to be able to talk about their weekend and feel they can freely talk and that they're not having to protect you if they had a good time. And you want to say to them, it's okay if you had a good time. I want you to have a good time with your daddy. I want you to have a good time with your mom. It's important. It's important. They love you. It's important that you have a good time with them. And so if you're grilling your child, and that puts the child really in the middle, which is an impossible position emotionally, because then they are having to try to figure out what information to filter, what's going to make you mad, what's going to make you upset, what's going to get, excuse me, their, their other parent in trouble. So you just ask your kid fun and general questions, and that diffuses tension, and then you let it go. Now, you be ready to repair the damage that you've already done. And so many parents reading these, you know, different books or many parents that are hearing these things that I'm saying may recognize mistakes they've unintentionally made with their own kids. So it's never too late to undo emotional fallout from a nasty split. Children are remarkably forgiving. And at least they reach their later teen years when anger may be more connected So if you've made mistakes, it's important to do the following. First of all, you apologize for them. Saying you're sorry goes a long way with your kids. This does not mean that you're demeaning yourself or undermining your own authority. It means you're reclaiming your authority. So you say to them, that was not a good example I set for you, and I am really sorry. And I I am not happy with my own behavior. And that is not how our family acts, and we need to fix that. And I am sorry you had to see it. I'm sorry you had to hear it. Sorry you had to find out about that because it's not your problem and it's not your mistake. So you explain in detail what you've done wrong, and then you commit to changing your behavior from that moment on. And so you say exactly, when I did this and I acted like that and I said this to you, or when I said this t- in front of, of your, your dad, when I showed up at the, at the game and I wasn't, I, I wasn't my, the game I was supposed to come to, This was wrong, I'm sorry, and I need you to forgive me. And I'm working on changing that behavior. I'm working on my anger and my upset. And so you give your child safe and specific signal. For example, tell your child to raise his or her hand when you begin criticizing your spouse. And this serves as a timeout for you, telling you in no uncertain terms you're doing it again and need to stop immediately. So you say, I'm very sorry. Thank you for doing that. That puts you in a terrible position. Let's start over. And you start the conversation over because it's imperative that you show your children self-control if you are asking them for self-control. And you're asking them to practice self-control. So let's talk about this one last part. And this is dealing with your ex on special occasions. So getting along with your former spouse or partner may seem impossible at times. I, I I know it really can be. And especially if your ex-spouse is a very difficult person and continues to be so. But if you have kids, there's going to be special days where you all have to be together. Birthdays, holidays, graduations, weddings, other occasions will be better for everyone if the two of you agree to get along. And many times what I say to, to my clients, I say to them, you get along with people at work that you can't stand. You can get along. You know how to get along. Get along. Because what you're doing is you're making the environment safe for everybody. Because the people that are around you when you are not getting along, it's not their fault. They shouldn't have to pay for what's happening in your relationship. So you want to be very careful that you contain that. See, if we talk about in the early days, younger children are especially vulnerable. Um, so you might try sticking to a routine as much as possible that is that is. Like the family's established routine during the first holiday season. because small children, they won't comprehend why things are different. So we're recommending that you consider spending limited time together as you develop kind of new patterns. Like let's say um, you're developing new patterns like of celebrating things. And so you want your child to realize that although things are different, they can still be happy. And so emotions, anger, sadness, bitterness will inevitably run over the course of those first holidays. And so a good way to keep them in check is to make plans in advance and stick to them. So you decide in advance how long you're going to stay. And then you leave upon the agreed time. And you let the kids know, this is what, this is how we're going to do this. And then you decide as, as the years go on, how much you want to try to keep that familiarity. And generally it's better that you start to truly separate out your lives because It can be extremely uh, confusing for children if you are too familiar and too friendly. Then they don't understand why you're separate. So you want to be acting toward your spouse in a very respectful manner as you would a business associate. So you're going to be vulnerable, and so it's important to avoid spontaneity. Try not to spring things on your kids, your your exes. And you you want to really practice being civil. And so for some parents, being together always brings out the worst in either one or both. If you fall into that category, then getting together could very well spoil the day for your children. And so a lot of parents have to, but a lot don't. And so some parents, for whatever reason, remain in high conflict, and that's not good for the kids. So if you can, and your ex can't, if you and your ex can't be in the same place with each other, then you're probably better off not getting together. And what you say to your kids, you can say, I know that's very disappointing, but it's more important for your dad and for me, me and your mom to show you healthy behavior that is civil and that is decent. And somehow when your mom and I get together, we have a hard time controlling ourselves. And so we are going to then be responsible and not be in the same room until we can learn how to do that. And we're having people that are helping us learn how to do that. And you, and you simply take responsibility for it. If you both um, if you guys end up at an event, it's crucial that your children see that the two of you can get along so this is where I want you to think about your ex as a coworker and treating them him or her accordingly. so it should be like a business relationship you strive for. Think of how you relate to a coworker you 're friendly you're kind you're validating, but you don 't hug and you 're not intimate so Mothers and fathers who are separated should not hug or kiss. This is not part of what a business relationship would be. And that's how you're wanting to see your ex. This is, a, this is a business partner that is a very important person in the life of my child. And so I'm going to treat them civilly, decently, respectfully, because that's the behavior I want to treat to show my children, is that I want to show my children adult behavior. I don't want to reduce myself down to acting like a child when I'm around my ex-spouse. So you're civil and you're warm when appropriate because anything else is very confusing to kids. So even if you are like perfectly at ease with your former partner, signs of intimacy can be very misinterpreted by children. So you don't want to have too much. You don't want to have bantering. You don't want to have hugging and kissing and, and, um, teasing each other, these types of things. It's very confusing for children. What we do want is for them to see you be adults. So, Smiling at each other, making eye contact, saying a quick hello is enough to demonstrate to kids that you can be civil. And after you've made your pleasantries, it's okay to move to the opposite sides of the room. So what, what, would, what do we do if there's irreconcilable differences? If, what do we do if you and your ex can't stand to be around each other? Well, then you know what? You decide who goes to what event and you don't be at the same event. You can take turns and that's better for, for major events. And you can also, when it comes to celebrating, these types of things like bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, communions, um, these type, graduations, it's important that you're both present for the celebration, but you don't have to sit together. In fact, it's better if you don't. And it's better for your children to see you separate but happy rather than together and miserable. So at graduations, for in- instance, it's good for kids to have to wave in one direction for mom and wave another to dad so they both see happy faces in those directions. It reminds them that while while they have two homes, they still have one family. So it's very important that we consider the fact that we are always role modeling for our children. So we're either role modeling for our children, good behavior during a marriage and how to do a marriage well, or we're role modeling how to be adult children. So I hope this was helpful for you today. Join me again next week. And if you're going through divorce, I'm praying for you because it's very painful. And God is such a God of healing. So bless your week, and I'll talk to you next week. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations
0: with Cynthia. We hope this past hour has been encouraging, motivating, and inspiring to you.